Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back to Drilled. I'm Amy Westervelt. This week, a really important study was released from a frequent voice on Drilled, Robert Brule, visiting scholar at Brown University and environmental sociologist. Brule looked at the role of PR firms in blocking climate action, a subject we've covered a lot in this podcast. And what he found when he looked at which firms the utilities and coal companies and oil and gas companies were using was somewhat surprising. Only one firm showed up in the top three across all categories, Edelman PR, which is interesting because back in 2015, Edelman made this big announcement on the heels of several executives leaving the firm that it was no longer going to engage in greenwashing, that it was no longer going to work for coal companies at all, and that it was going to commit itself to being a responsible actor on climate. Well, the data that Brule found does not back that up. If you haven't listened to season three of this podcast, I would recommend going back and doing that. We did a deep dive on all of the various PR folks involved in helping to block climate action, including Edelman. We also just recently did an episode of our other podcast, Rigged, on Edelman and their role in particularly astroturfing, this strategy where companies or industries will create front groups that seem like grassroots groups but are in fact paid for by a company or an industry group. We're going to bring you that story today after the break and next week a conversation with Bob Rule and former Edelman VP Christine Arena. Hope you enjoy today's episode and come back next week for that conversation. Hi, it's Amy here, and I'm excited to tell you about a new podcast from APM Studios and Western Sounds called Ripple. Such a good idea, this show. In the aftermath of major disasters, there is always a swarm of media attention. The public is captivated by breaking news, there's coverage and controversy, and then the cameras and the public just move on. But the stories are not finished. Ripple is a new series investigating the stories we were told were over. In season one, the reporting team traveled hundreds of miles across the Gulf Coast to learn the ongoing effects of the 2010 Deepwater Horizon oil spill, which are still impacting many coastal residents more than a decade later. You can listen now to Ripple wherever you get your podcasts. Is- 
It's simple supply and demand. More abundant energy means more affordable energy. Producing more American oil and natural gas will help keep energy bills in check. Who doesn't want that? I'm Rick, and I'm an energy voter. If you can afford a Tesla, then this message won't really matter to you. My name is Don Smith. I've been with Walmart for three years. 28 years. 17 and a half years. Six and a half years. 17 years. Been here 11 years. Uh, and just love it. Just love my job. If these commercials are to be believed, hundreds of Americans are out there rallying around the causes of protecting energy companies, automakers, and big box retailers from regulation. Wow, those plucky little guys protecting those vulnerable behemoths of U.S. industry. Ads like this tend to appear when legislation or unions threaten the profits of big companies. They claim to be messages from grassroots groups like Energy Citizens or the California Drivers Alliance, or from employees that just love Walmart so much they want to sing it from the rooftops. But they're actually paid for by industry trade groups or specific companies. They give these fake front groups these names that sound, they're like perfectly innocuous names like the California Drivers Alliance or the Washington Consumers for Sound Fuel Policy. This is Christine Arena. She knows a lot about this tactic because she used to be a VP at a PR firm that's famous for using it. There are hundreds of them, um, are usually secretly run by lobbying organizations, like the two I just mentioned are actually run by the Western States Petroleum Association, which is a top lobbyist for the oil industry. The Western States Petroleum Association is in turn funded by members including BP, Shell, ExxonMobil, Chevron, and Occidental, among others. So it's, it's fake activism. It's corporate money posing as activism. And, um, and it's designed to undo all of the progress that real activism uh, makes. Welcome back to Rigged, a podcast about the war for hearts and minds and activism right here on U.S. soil. I'm Amy Westervelt, and today's trick is astroturfing. Ah, yes, astroturfing. When grassroots don't exist, a plastic version will do very nicely. One of the PR firms most associated with astroturfing is Arena's former employer, Edelman PR. It was started back in 1952 in Chicago by Daniel Edelman, a former journalist who had spent World War II working in psychological warfare for the U.S. Army. Here he is, much later in life, describing that gig. Working in that truck and doing the psychological warfare thing was fascinating because we were offsetting the claims made by the Germans. It's all lies. I mean, and we had to disclaim them. Yep. And then he came home and put those skills to work on behalf of U.S. industry against the American public. Edelman's son, Richard, took over as CEO in 1996, and one of his first moves was to make a really big show of how the firm was no longer going to work with tobacco companies. 
a noble move after his dad had spent decades helping the industry push the idea that secondhand smoke was no big deal. It must be weird joining the family business when the family business is propaganda. In a strategy he crafted for R.J. Reynolds in 1977, Daniel Edelman, Dadelman, if you like, recommends a civility campaign for smokers as a way to push the idea that smokers care about non-smokers, that they're not just trying to be assholes and posing their cigarettes on the public. He writes... A program directed at our own constituency, the smoker, makes the greatest sense to us. Example, a code of conduct for smokers, publicized in all the traditional ways. A smoker's etiquette handbook, distributed in smoking sections of trains, airplanes, etc. Restaurant tabletops on smoking etiquette. Awards to courtesy smokers. Contests to develop the do's and don'ts of civility in smoking. The possibilities are limitless. We need to develop various ways such a campaign can be pursued intelligently and effectively. It also seems to us that within the framework of a campaign of this sort, we have the best opportunity and the most congenial way of communicating our case. That there is no real evidence that inhaling someone else's cigarette smoke causes any health problems. In 1998, after Big Tobacco had lost multiple lawsuits and been hauled in front of Congress and investigated by the Department of Justice, Richard Edelman said, no, sir, we will no longer work for these guys. Richard Edelman may have sworn off tobacco, but he made up for it with a voracious appetite for oil, or at least the money of oil companies who were more than eager to pay him for bringing that Edelman family magic to their industry. Christina Rina joined Edelman in 2012, leading the business and social practice. She thought she'd be helping the firm do good work for organizations that were doing genuinely good things for the environment. But she quickly realized that she'd just been hired to do greenwashing. In the summer of 2014, Edelman created an astroturfing master plan designed to sway public opinion on TransCanada's Keystone XL pipeline. It did, just not in the way they'd hoped. In November that year, the astroturfing plan was leaked to the press. Embarrassing! And Edelman enjoyed another moment in the spotlight. By the end of 2014, Arena knew she had to leave. In 2015, The Guardian caught wind of Arena's departure, along with three other Edelman executives who all left the firm over its work with Big Oil. The Guardian published an article on that, and it got quite a bit of attention. So once again, Edelman took a brave stand, promising to do better in the future. The firm vowed to stop promoting climate denial and to stop working with the coal industry, period. It also committed to no more greenwashing or astroturfing, which is weird because in 2018, they submitted an entry for a PR award for a campaign they created for Shell that, well, it sure looks a lot like greenwashing. 
In their award submission, Edelman said their campaign was meant to, quote, raise awareness of Shell's ambition in the UK to create more and cleaner energy solutions in a way that appeals to millennials, and in doing so, to build Shell's reputation in the UK as an innovative energy company. They claimed a 28% increase in people's belief that Shell, quote, works to provide a sustainable energy future as a key result of their campaign. Is that greenwashing? You say persuading the public that a fossil fuel giant is a plucky investor in renewables. I say potato. So, yeah. One of the precursors to all of that was that ad you heard up top from Energy Citizens. Energy Citizens is a front group created by Edelman for the American Petroleum Institute way back in 2009. But creating groups like that is something Edelman has done over and over again for lots of clients in lots of different industries. Like that creation of state grassroots support, which came to be known as like astroturfing. And Edelman was genius at doing that. And that's like rallying, you know, with the tobacco companies, it was like state, you know, doctors and academics and in climate change, it's like scientists who take contrary perspectives and anybody who will like parrot the propaganda. Mm-hmm. And they'll use that astroturf plan to then influence media, to influence politicians, to influence regulatory agencies. Edelman created all kinds of astroturfing groups to fight environmental regulations. But they didn't just work against environmental regulations. They worked against all kinds of other regulations, too. We're going to hear more about that after the break. Examples of Edelman's astroturfing work for oil companies and other big polluters abound. But the most over-the-top example of astroturfing they ever did was for Walmart. When I heard about it, I had to call up Mary Anais Hegler, writer and my frequent partner in crime. Okay, I'm gonna t- I'm gonna just I'm gonna read you a little story, and um, we can pause along the way for for your reactions to this. Oh, that's so sweet! Story time. It's story time with Mary. Here we go. In April 2006, Jim and I hiked the Grand Canyon. Bryce and Slot Canyons in Escalante. During our trip, we ended up in Page, Arizona. At 5 a.m., we were up and ready to go, although not much else is in Page, hmm. except, of course, the Walmart Supercenter. We pulled into the parking lot amid at least a dozen RVs. Not sure what was up, we asked why, and we learned that Walmart allows RVs to stay in store parking lots overnight for free. As we hiked up Bright Angel Trail from Phantom Ranch in the Grand Canyon, a new adventure was born. I started thinking about all the other amazing things there are to see in this vast country of ours. And then I started thinking about how Walmart, one in every town practically, lets you park overnight for free. The idea just sort of came together. We would take vacation from our full-time jobs and drive across the country in a rented RV from city to city, spending the night in a different Walmart parking lot every night. And of course, I'd write an article about it and maybe 
and may be able to sell a story to an RV magazine with photos of RVing in America and only staying at Walmarts. Given the litigious age we live in, we decided to get permission from Walmart to do so. So I called my brother who works at Edelman and whose clients include working families for Walmart in order to find out if we'd be allowed to talk to people and take pictures in Walmart parking lots. As a freelance writer, I've learned over the years that it's always better to ask about stuff like that in advance. They didn't just give us permission, they said they would even sponsor the trip. Hmm. A blog seemed like the perfect medium to tell those stories. And even more exciting, no editors. What writer could say no to that? Oh dear. All in all, it was a perfect fit. Working Families for Walmart wants to get the word out about all the good things Walmart does for people. I wanted to make this trip and write about it. It just seemed to work. Is that the end of that story? Have you ever heard about the blog WalmartingAcrossAmerica.com? I have not at all. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So this is the final post in that blog. Uh, It was a project of Edelman PR company for Walmart, and it was started amidst a push uh, among Walmart employees to unionize. So Edelman helped them create this group called Working Families for Walmart, which is one of the many, many, many examples of, of astroturfing that Edelman has done for various companies. And it was kind of presented as like, um, you know, an employee group of, of people who really didn't want to unionize and that they were just good old fashioned working class Americans who just loved Walmart. And this blog came about like, as this whole, you know, fight about unionizing was happening and they would go to all these Walmarts, this woman and her husband, and they would talk to employees and the employees would just go on and on about how much they loved working for Walmart. <laughs> I'm sure they there. did. <laughs> Meanwhile, hair and makeup is like just off off, uh, the parking lot, right? Yes. Yes. At the time that Walmarting Across America debuted, Walmart was paying Edelman some $10 million a year to improve its reputation. That reputation, of course, was that it was cheap with its wages and its benefits. Nothing like paying a PR firm millions to make you look generous instead of just paying your employees. In the aftermath of the Walmarting Across America debacle, Richard Edelman himself went to the press with a statement. We regret not being 100% transparent about the identity of the bloggers. That was entirely our fault, not our clients. Okay, sure. But nowhere in there did he say anything about working families for Walmart, which was just as big of a fake. The organization was set up by Walmart, and most of its members were Walmart executives, not the store clerks you might imagine when you hear working families for Walmart. Well, I mean, technically those executives do work for Walmart, and I guess those families must really like the sweet paychecks they bring home. Walmart execs can earn a thousand times that of an average employee. If I were in that family, I'd be very in favor of Walmart. 
The sole goal of Working Families for Walmart seemed to be to stop Walmart workers from unionizing, which tracked with Walmart's history when a handful of Walmart butchers at one store in Texas came together to bargain with the store collectively in 2000. The company shut down not only the meat counter at that store, but all of its stores in Texas and five neighboring states, just in case any of those rogue butchers had it in mind to move to a nearby state, I guess. As a business practice, taking off and nuking the site from orbit is always an option if you're Walmart. Of course, Edelman doesn't have a monopoly on astroturfing. The other absolute legend at it is Dr. Evil, Dr. Evil. a.k.a. Dick Evil, Richard Berman, king of the front group. He's the a tie is a win guy from episode three. You don't need to get people to like you. All you have to do is create enough uncertainty that they won't act against you. Remember back in episode one when we heard from the doctor with the Center for Accountability and Science and he was talking about antibiotics and meat? Choosing a burrito or a foot-long sub labeled antibiotic-free might make you feel like you're making a healthier choice, but in reality, you're simply paying more for a label. To learn more, visit AccountableScience.com. That's a Berman group. He also runs the perfectly innocuous-sounding Environmental Policy Alliance, which is the official publisher of a site called Big Green Radicals that highlights the bad behavior of environmental groups. Some real eco-extremists like the Sierra Club. The money for that site came from the right-wing Bradley Foundation, and initially went to another Berman group, the Center for Consumer Freedom. That group must have gotten too much bad press because in recent years, Berman scrapped it and renamed it the Center for Organizational Research and Education. (sighs) Big Green Radicals was an environment-focused spin-off of a previous project that Berman had done for Bradley called ActivistCash.com. And then, of course, Berman also runs the Center for Union Facts. Surprise, surprise, an anti-union site. If you're getting lost in this maze of slightly boring-sounding, innocuous names, guess what? That's the point. He's hoping you lose track of all the money he's throwing at these fake pressure groups. One of Berman's many claims to infamy is his work going after those radicals at Mothers Against Drunk Driving on behalf of the restaurant and bar industry. And those hippies at the Humane Society on behalf of the industrial meat guys. Here's an ad for the website Humane Watch, a watchdog site that Berman runs to highlight the nefarious ways of the Humane Society. Would you give money to a charity that was involved in a multi-million dollar racketeering lawsuit? Would you donate to a charity that was being investigated by an attorney general? Would you write a check to an animal charity that moved $50 million to offshore accounts instead of using it to help animals? Would you support a humane society that actually ran zero pet shelters? Would you? Would you? Would you? Would you? But he's got more serious-sounding groups, too. The Employment Policies Institute Foundation, for example... Okay, actually, the use of both institute and foundation there in an attempt to sound serious and objective is goofy and hilarious, classic Berman. The Department for Academic Studies. (laughs) It's amazing. 
he really can't help himself. But that organization looks on the face of it like a pretty standard DC policy think tank. And it is, in fact, part of a cluster of nonprofits funded by the Bradley Foundation. They're an ultra conservative group that spends more money than the Kochs, a huge funding source for anti environmental campaigns. The Bradley Foundation pushes very specific pro business policies. And in this case, a group of Berman-led efforts, the Center for Union Facts and the Center for Consumer Freedom and the Employment Policies Institute Foundation, all focused on one thing, getting rid of labor unions. Here's Berman defending his right not to disclose who's funding which groups on Rachel Maddow back in 2009. I start a lot of these myself because I believe in them. And, and then, then I go to people and I say, listen, this is what I'm doing. If, you are con- if your beliefs are consistent with mine, will you help me get this thing out? And it's so a, who, get, who, it doesn't who cost- does anything to put a website up? Right, but, who, but on the acorns, so it, nobody ever else ever supported that. That was out of the goodness of your heart? Yeah. The problem with that is that I can't prove it one way or another because you don't have to disclose it. And so I have to take your word on that, and I will. There's no reason not to. But in general, your strategy is not to say, I, Rick Berman and being paid to tell you that the efforts to stop you from eating fish or stop eating trans fats or, 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 or stop uh, smoking cigarettes, whatever they are, I'm being paid to tell you that these things are a bad idea. I don't when do you things s- that I don't believe. Okay, but you are being paid to say them as well by people who have a vested interest. If you admitted that, but, but course, nobody would call you Dr. Evil anymore. They'd just call you a PR guy. No, the no, reason no. that you're on the show is because you don't disclose who's paying you to say the things that you're saying. Well, then you can't have anybody on your show from the left or the right who is connected to these nonprofit organizations because they won't tell you who's funding them. And you think that's wrong? I think that they're entitled to do that. They're, entitled, they're, enti- they're entitled to keep their donors quiet. I think that that's up to them. Of course, not all astroturfing attempts are as obvious and goofy as Walmarting across America. I mean, come on, guys. Throw at least one employee in who doesn't just love the shit out of their Walmart job if you want to sell this thing. But if you know what to look for, even the more subtle efforts are pretty easy to spot. They really play up the we're just normal average citizens thing in their names and in their messaging. They talk about saving you, average American, money, but their number one goal actually seems to be saving a company or an industry money. They use stock photos of people who are supposed to be members of their group in their ads. Hilariously, these guys are constantly doing this and thinking they're not going to get caught. They always get caught. There's no real way to join the group. You can learn more or sign a petition, sometimes even show up at a rally. But unlike genuine community groups, they're never having meetings. Unless you're hanging out near the Walmart executive washroom in Arkansas. These types of ads really ramp up around elections, so keep an eye out for them in 2022. That's it for this time. Next time on our final episode of this series, we're going to find out why Americans really embraced consumerism after World War II. Come back for that. Thank you for joining us on this hair-raising journey through the murky history of PR. Remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to find out once and for all who's really pulling the strings. 
Rigged is an original Critical Frequency production. Lots of documents, photos, and other fun facts about the wild world of PR are on our website at rigged.media. Our producer is Martin Zaltz Ostwick. He also scored this season. Artwork is by Matthew Fleming. Our fact checker is Ashley Braun. Our First Amendment attorney is James Wheaton of the First Amendment Project. Big thanks to Mary Anais Hegler, who you'll hear throughout this series. If you want to hear more of me and Mary joking around, check out Hot Take, the show we do about climate change. Archival tape in this episode is courtesy of the Library of Congress, the PR Museum, and Vanderbilt University's TV News Archive. The show is reported by me, Amy Westervelt. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time. 